0: Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of My Drive Home, which ironically takes place when I drive to work early in the morning, Monday through Thursday, four days a week, 52 weeks a year, except for when I take vacation, which I just got back from. So it's been a little hiatus between the last podcast and this one. Since that time, it's been been a little Christmas break for me. I was very, uh, very happy about that. A very nice Christmas. Beautiful Christmas. Um, only I, I say that only because I haven't seen my credit card statement. And I don't know what to expect. So, uh, <laughs> see me tomorrow and I'll be a, a grave man. When I see that bill hit me in the face. But... A lot of smiles all around. Everyone seemed to have a very successful Christmas. I'm very glad that uh, I was able to spend it with my family. I got a a lot of time with the kiddos, a lot of time with the boss. And I was able to to enlist the help of grandparents, Nana and Grandpa over there, to, to watch the kiddos for a night while the boss and I went out and saw Star Wars. Which I would recommend. Um... Not a lot of spoilers in here in this conversation, not a lot of uh, mind-blowing events, really great uh, action sequences and such but but I just wanted to uh, to do yeah give a shout out for Star Wars episode 8. Um, a lot of people are saying, well, wait a minute, you just said you went to the theaters and it's 2019, you said episode 8. I was like yes because there was no there was no Star Wars that happened in 2017. That was just a trick that the media played on people. So they also put out some crazy title with it. So if you go to the theaters or you buy the box set, go ahead and get 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. And then 9, there was a pretend 8 that they put out. But you can just erase that because it adds nothing to the the actual trilogy. Um, But anyway, good movie. I would recommend seeing it. Um, The boss and I really enjoyed it. But the reason I bring it up is, is because I am a, uh, I do love Star Wars, Star Trek, Star Wars, love them both, really like sci-fi, but before the movie, the boss and I went out to dinner and we went to just a, an Asian restaurant and I broached a topic that's been in my head for a while. For a while now, right? So I'm doing these podcasts, and some of it is, is is very much inspired by Joe Rogan and all these other podcasts that have been happening that I, I really enjoy listening to, because they they have guests on their shows. Right? I don't have a show; I have a podcast. It's just me rambling on my thoughts, but I am inspired by them because they they bring up questions that are that are thought provoking. They they talk about issues or they talk about about methods and methodologies to overcome things, or to look at things, or to, you know, live your life by. You know, sometimes it's just a saying, sometimes it's just something cool. I mean, one of the ones I heard the other day from the Messy Family podcast was, you know, go home and be students of your children. Because they clearly are students of us, right? Of of parents. They, They... study us their entire lives, learning to manipulate, but also learning the right thing to do based on the actions of us, right? Which goes into a fun tidbit about um, lunch or dinner, actually, last night. Um, so, so we were reading the Bulletin After Church, and it talked about how the, the school was going to focus on the virtue of integrity. Um, this week or this month. I'm not sure exactly how long it's going to last. But it was funny that they were talking about integrity because, one, that's like the biggest army value. Yeah, surprise, surprise, I used to be in the army. But it's it's a great little lesson for the kiddos because they don't really understand it. And we were talking at dinner in a restaurant and uh, they were talking about how... how uh, I said the words monkey see monkey do and I didn't know what the actual term is and I still don't I just say it's a saying something that people say and that that kind of brought us into the fact of animals and people people that don't know any better they look around to try to figure out what the right way to do things is you know you want to do as the culture when in Rome be a Roman or do as the Romans do or whatever the, the slang or catchphrase that you want to live by is. The long story short is if your example of how to live or how to be or how to do something is, is wrong, then you're going to be wrong. But you're not going to know it until you have overwhelming evidence that you are wrong. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's very difficult to say, okay, well, I've been doing this for two months because the person I was with said this is the right thing to do when and then you see other people that are doing something totally different so it's, it's only through logic honestly and you and, and massive amounts of information that you're able to inherit those social norms and do the right thing and so that's kind of where integrity comes around right so if If I'm doing the right thing, then I've got nothing to worry about. I don't double check my actions, I don't worry about what's going on Facebook or Snapchat or all that, or or my Insta, any of that stuff. Now, I do, I'm a a regular human, so I do worry about what gets posted on any kind of social media, because as great as it is that I I could have this amazing intent Um, Nobody cares on social media because it's a black and white um, platform, right? And it's funny that I say that because I'm literally doing a podcast, which could be social media, except for nobody's listening, so it's not social (laughs) at all. It's just about me expressing my, uh, my thoughts. But all of that is being said to the fact of, I was able to convey through monkey see monkey do that what we do or what we say people who don't know any better or even children to all the way to animals are are going to mimic what they see and they're going to do that or they're going to they're going to listen to what people say and they're going to do it if they have no other context of hey the right way to eat an apple is to Slice it in half and then eat only one side, and throw the rest away. If I tell people that and they don't have never eaten an apple, that's what the, how they're going to eat the apple. If I eat my apple that way in front of someone who's never eaten an apple, that's probably how they're going to eat that apple. Until they are able to use logic and say, "Well, that doesn't make sense." You know, you ate all the flesh of the apple on one side, but you wasted it on the other side with no reason. So then they'll say, Okay, well, I'll make the smart decision and I'll eat the rest of the apple. So that's where we were able or I was able, to help with the help of the boss, to to convey the word integrity. Now my my kiddos were old enough to kind of memorize the standard definition, right? Of doing the right thing when nobody else is watching. But a lot there's a, there's a difference between rote memory and comprehension right so can you in practical application even better so you know you've got primacy where you just learn something you memorize it. you memorize your multiplication tables you memorize uh, proper manners at a table and then you comprehend it where you actually understand why it's being done why it matters. Now you understand in your brain you can visualize why if you have five fives lined up together it's going to equal 25. It's logic. It just makes sense. And the same with manners. If you if you are teaching manners it's a good thing to teach first of all. And, uh, and you can get around to the fact of it's a social contract. When everyone does it it makes it a lot easier and a more pleasant experience. Now, all of this is the comprehension aspect of of learning. And the practical application is basically a mastery of that, that application. I would say teaching it would be mastery. But, I mean, I can teach you 5 plus 5 or I could teach you manners that I've just memorized myself, without understanding fully why we do them. And that's that's without a doubt. But the real challenge becomes mastery, and that's I think that is practical application, understanding, seeing how it all fits together, and then and then executing right, making it happen. So those are the big challenges that I think there are with learning. And that's where it goes down to integrity is with the virtue that we were talking about um, or the character, whatever you want to call it. So teaching that at dinner was actually, well, it was great. It, it flew right into to, uh, a conversation that I feel like my kiddos were able to understand. Now, I'm not saying my two-year-old who was standing up stabbing my, my, the boss with a french fry because she wouldn't eat it was going to understand what integrity was. But the older kids, they definitely got it. They, they seem like they got it. It's, it's a crapshoot, right? You know, parenting is the, the one test that you, there is no, the one examination, I guess, or challenge that there is no test for. You have thirty years to, you know, and even then they can still falter because you didn't hug them on a Thursday, on like when they were four, you know. You just try your best and do it with love, and then you're you're you be a good example. You have that integrity that says I'm doing the right thing. This is the right thing. It makes sense logically, spiritually. You can you can listen to this and not be, you know, not be um hurt later on. It's not something that I'm making up that's going to that's gonna really bite you in the long run. And not that everyone's out there to get their kids, but we often, and I know I absolutely do this, but I often project the way I want things to be onto my kids. And that, that goes into a lot of revelations that I'm having now as an adult. I'm um. I am a a product of my environment. Of course, everyone is. But a lot of things are slowly coming out over time. Where you know, I was, my family was, you know, I'll tell you, my family was so great and so strong. We had such a strong family bond, and and family, and when I say family, I mean extended family, also cousins and uncles and aunts, and that we would do anything for each other. We were always there for each other. We did this and that. And you know, when I grew up, we always went to lunch on on Sundays after church, or we always did this and always did that. And slowly, it's coming to light that some of that stuff never happened. It it happened once or twice, but it was not it was not an always event. But I guess it just made such a lasting impact on me that I internalized that as oh man, church equals. So, you know, lunch afterwards, or dinner, or we were going out. Or maybe we just did that later on and not as a child. But the long and the short of it is that I I really accepted that. I took that in. I internalized that as something amazing that I really liked. Like, that was a memory I wanted to keep, and I wanted to push forward. I wanted to create, take that memory and you know, kind of force that issue to create a tradition. And that's good, I think. It's not a bad thing. I wanna create traditions. And I want my kids to have those good memories. I want them to have fun. I want them to to always remember when they were a kid doing something like going out to a restaurant after church or playing trivia. And so this is full circle, right? So integrity is, I'm trying to do the right thing all the time, but the full circle that has happened is that I'm all the way back to the restaurant where I first started this conversation with the boss. Now this is not last night's dinner. This is is a restaurant on a Saturday with just a date night with me and the boss. And the question I posed to her was, why are you a parent? And not like, oh, how does she, how is she? But I mean like a, a role model, a parent of a child. Why? Why did she become a parent? What in her brain made her decide to become a parent? Now, I'm trying to have this conversation with a uh, with a, a standoffish approach, right? Um, and she knows this. She knows that often I'll, I'll pose a question and I already know the answer or I'm, I wanna see her opinion on things. And so I'll ask a question that I've been thinking about for a while. And, and this is no different. I've been thinking about the question for a while, but the slight caveat is that I don't have an answer. I asked her and she's like, "Well, you know, being a parent is is really a hard job and and it takes a lot of focus and you know, there's a there's a big aspect of God in that relationship where it can't happen without God. And all these things are describing what a parent is or what physically makes a parent. But the question I really am asking myself and was asking her was, "Why did you Why did I, in truth, choose to become a a parent? Why did I choose or decide that I would like to create a life? And I haven't really been able to have a good understanding of why. You know, was it just selfish? I just, I thought my life was so great growing up that I wanted to create that again for another child. Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of that. I definitely remember my childhood as a positive thing. Um, Whether that's true or not, in someone else's eyes, I don't care, frankly, because it's how I internalized it and how I was raised. So whether getting the hand-me-downs really hurt somebody else's feelings when they were a kid because they never felt special or whatever doesn't matter to me I, I enjoyed the clothes I had I really just used them because I would get in trouble if I ran outside naked they were just a means to an end a means to me getting outside and playing so I uh so I really enjoyed my childhood. So maybe there's a part of that. Maybe there's the fact of, oh, you, uh, I, I chose to become a parent because my childhood was, was so great. You know, I, I enjoyed it. Maybe I chose to become a parent because of, you know, some crazy social injustice in the world. Now, honestly, and truthfully, I think the world's a little banana pants, I think, I think we're, we're going through ebbs and flows, right, where you were raised in a very staunch family where the father goes to work, you don't see him until he comes home from work, he cooks dinner, and he gives you a stern talking to, or he shows up at your baseball game and you know, encourages, encourages you there, mm-hmm. while mom is there the whole time being the housewife being the holding down the home that's her job is managing the household now that's ebbed and flowed a little bit into an i love you type of generation that i see on my side obviously everybody's different but on my side i see that where it's it's it was not a very when i grew up it wasn't a lot of i love you's from boy to boy you know from the men So when I got off, when I got to um, grow up, it wasn't that 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 much love like that. It was I was I was shown love by my father and mother in different ways, but the actual words, you know, the, the "I love you" sentence wasn't something that conveyed. And I would always laugh when I would get off the phone with my dad, and I would say, you know, "I love you, Dad," and he would say, "Be good." You know, and I would always laugh to myself. That he would uh, it wasn't his instinct to say it back, which I uh, probably meant he never loved me. Now I'm just joking. He, he definitely does, and, and uh, but that's the generation. I think it kind of flowed through another generation of 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 I I don't know. Maybe we were so hard on ourselves, and my our our parents were never around, or my our fathers were never around, that it turned into this. Helicopter parent type of thing, right? Where where parents are always around. I'm always going to be there. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that you're doing the right thing throughout, no matter what. And then it was an overbearing. You know, you could be overbearing there. And so then then there's a whole other area of parent where it's like, no, I just let the kids do whatever they want. I don't want to stifle them as a person. And it's it's so funny because these these all do, they do roll back into integrity where it's like doing the right thing, but we have to roll all the way back and say, well, what is, what is the right thing? And I feel like I've been doing the right thing. Now, obviously I'm a man, right? I'm a, I'm a human. So I've done the wrong thing a lot of times, at least twice in my whole life, <laughs> but Right now I feel like I'm trying to live the best life I can. Right? Just be good. Be good to other people. Be good to where you where you live, to the earth. Now I'm not super hippie blah blah blah, but I'm a big fan of doing the right thing, putting things in a place. So trash in the environment, I'm not a fan. You give me an electric car that'll cost ten grand and can still char- and can charge in thirty minutes, I'll take it in every day, every day of the week. So this goes back to the whole you got it I got integrity for what I think is the right thing to do, but is that enough to justify or to qualify me becoming a parent? What is the standard? What is the the overlying issue that I should think about when I decide to become a parent. Now I'm using my words very specifically, right? So there are all kinds of mistakes to be made or, or immaculate conceptions that can happen where, where someone doesn't decide to be a parent, they are just given that gift. Um, and I, I know that some people don't think of it that way, but always remember there's people who can't. That is a a child is definitely a gift. There's so many things wrong with our bodies, and so many tiny little microbes and cells, and you know, uh, I don't want to say coincidence, but that's kind of what it is. All the stars have to align to make that baby viable, to make that baby grow, grow through um, the different stages, to make it a viable human being. Now, it is absolutely life. Now, now There's no question there. You can say, oh, you're Catholic. That's why you say that. And that's true. You can say that all day long. But logically, it makes sense. My, I'm a human, right? Base instinct is an animal because that's what we all are. Is We just have consciousness. Is just uh, you eat, you uh, survive, and you procreate. So to kill your procreation is to deny one of your primal functions as a as a living organism there's i don't know of any other organism that kills their young without some specific reason like oh i think i I don't recognize them as my own or they're you know I, i have no idea so that being said i am specifically saying i am deciding to have a child my wife, myself, are deciding to try to have a child, and then, and then we have to rely on, on whatever you want to call it—luck, coincidence, uh, I don't know, Cthulhu, <laughs> whatever you want to call it—but it's God, right? Uh, you could, you could, whatever you want to do. But to us to me, it is definitely a little spark of God that that creates that life, that conception. And so why do we choose though? Why do we choose to have that life? Why do we choose to be parents? Are we conceited? Are we selfish? Are we saying, oh, I'm gonna have a baby because I want a little part of me to last forever? I want my family name to live on to the roles of history. That might be the case. Um, but, what, What? How, how big is that desire? Is that desire to, I wanna to try to have a baby because I, I would like to impart the knowledge I have onto somebody? Is that is it, is it a negative reason? Is it is it... I want to have a baby just to prove that I can. Because that's what being a man is. That's... Or that's the next step or stage in life. Is you grow, go to college, get a job, get a wife, get a baby, get a family, get a house. And then, you know, start that cycle over with your children. They grow, go to college, get a job. So... Are you doing it because you're just going through the motions? Am I doing it because I'm just going through the motions? I mean, I guess there's a part of that too. If you uh, if you come from a family that doesn't have a father figure, your kids are less likely. They really are. They are. They're. That's that primacy, that learned method. If you grew up in a house without a father or without a mother. You're less likely to care about marriage or being married because that's not what it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't. You don't need one. You don't need a mother figure or a father figure, so you don't get married. You don't say, "I want to have a, a, a partner, a best friend in this life forever." That that is so dedicated to me and and to us as a couple that they're gonna not only form a physical bond but a a literal contract between us and God saying I promise I swear I take my oath to this other person who I'm going to love unconditionally right and how scary is that you ever I mean you got we're talking about being nervous about signing EULA's for an iPhone but people are getting married in the courthouse willy really nilly. And that's because you're, you, now this is a tangent about loopholes. You can always just get out of a, a courthouse marriage. It takes five seconds or a, a couple extra hundred dollars. But that's outside of if you have a crazy divorce, you hate each other, and you're trying to steal each other's stuff or, quote, get what's yours, unquote. Which is, yeah, that's in itself a whole problem. But all of that goes back to, are you just following a tradition? And sometimes the answer might be yes. Is that a bad tradition? What is the tradition? What is the method? What is the motivating factor that drives people to become parents? And I'm, you know, I'm talking about myself because that's who I know the best. So what drives me, what pushed my decision to have a child? So I think, honestly, it's a little bit of all of those. You know, I I grew up in a a traditional household where there was a mother and a father who, who are still married to this day, who showed me that they loved each other who raised children the father he my dad he went off to work and he came he went on trips he came back he uh and then he was there when we were when when he was home he wasn't just doing something crazy he he was there and we would follow him around and he would show us through what he was doing the right way to do things you know we changed tires we changed the oil we changed the brakes we uh we did electrical work we did carpentry, we built things, we were in Cub Scouts, we learned how to fish, how to hunt, how to, how, to, how to use a knife. So we did all these things and we did them when my dad was home. My mom taught us how to cook, um, how to be our social norms. She put us in situations where we could be you know, ourselves or we could develop ourselves as humans. I don't see these things and kids don't see these things when they're young but we see them now when we're older only because we're as parents kind of responsible to put our own kids in those situations right and help them grow and develop um because we're the primary teachers at all times so I guess, honestly, uh, after all this little soul searching and talking to myself and saying, "Oh, yeah, what, what's what's the motivating factor?" I guess the answer really is something different. It really is. It's it's a little bit of tradition, because because my tradition was not tainted by a negative emotion. My tradition is positive, so that tradition is there. It's it's an understanding now of. The biblical family right that that most holy family now we talked to church again about how Mary Joseph and Jesus surely weren't perfect you know that little guy he would just run off get lost and uh and just do all kinds of crazy stuff as a kid so it wasn't it wasn't perfect his parents got angry at him but they were holy they toughed it out Talk about the, the, the unconditional love. I mean, that guy—he's got to trust that God impregnated his wife, and it wasn't some other dude. I don't—I don't know how much more trust you get past that. Holy guacamole! But um, but yeah. So there's a little bit of guidance there, just to, just that as an example. But tradition is there, and then I guess, I guess a big factor for me, honestly, is. I love kids. I do. Um, my kids are pretty awesome. They're pretty great. I, I love to watch them learn. I love to watch them go through things in their head. I love them. I love to, to hear them challenge me. Um, I love it when they when I'm going 30, 35 and a twenty five, or I'm going forty and a thirty five, and my kiddos say, "Hey, uh, you know, your the speed limit is 35 I don't understand why you're going 40, and I've got to justify that to them. I've got to tell them, hey, um, here's why I'm going 40. It's because, you know, I'm matching traffic, and how does that supersede the rules? Because rules are still cut and dry, right? It's black and white. There's no, there's no, sometimes you have to obey the speed limit. No, truthfully, you always have to obey the speed limit. That whole, un, you know, up to nine you're fine, or over nine you're mine. Whatever you, you know, saying or slogan you want to use, it's not true, right? Speed limit's 35. You go 36. Technically, you're breaking the law. So you got to justify why are you breaking the law? Are you, you know, why is matching traffic more important than? Uh, than going the speed limit. And those are the challenges that kiddos ask. They they help me to become a better person. They're asking the the base level questions that I don't think to ask. I already like think I know these things. But to know something right is to be able to explain it to a five year old. I think Einstein said that. If he didn't then I just made it up and I'm a genius. Everybody write that down. But <laughs> But if you can explain something to a five-year-old, then you can explain, then you understand it. And so that's really the challenge I face every day. I have to explain everything I do to a five-year-old. So it's really helping me become a more developed person. It's really helping me to understand why I do what I do in life. And if I don't understand it, it challenges me to go and learn more. To, to try to understand it. So that those, those are the parts that I think drive me or have driven me to want to have children and to have a bigger family. Now, the reason, here's the big reason, the big reason that I'm even asking that question. So just to recap, we've talked about integrity just doing the right thing at all times and just what is the right thing and it's based on what you see around you and then you use logic to confirm so based on that integrity you know, I wanted to have children and why did I want to have children is because I, I like to follow the tradition that I felt and I understand logically as being correct and I I have a, a love or a... Um, yeah, I just really love and enjoy children and life and watching life grow and watching children grow and understanding it. So those are my motivating factors to, to having children. But the key here, the big giant question was why? Why am I even asking the question? Why do I want to be a parent? Or why did I? why am I choosing to be a parent? And there's so many examples of people not choosing, they're just inheriting that role through through consequences of life. And it's because on more than one occasion, I've been challenged, um, not head on, but with the situation. I've been situationally challenged where it was, Well, we're going to, I decided to have a baby. I'm like, well, that's awesome. You know, And I I love kids. So why would I ever be, you know, even have a question or be challenged there? But it ends up becoming a challenge because the, I want to have a baby, rolls right into. So I'm going to the doctor and I'm going to give him a sample of my sperm and we're going to harvest about 50 eggs from my wife. And we're going to create about 30 of them, 30 babies. And then we'll cut out the ones we don't, we'll kill the ones we don't like. We'll keep a couple and then we'll see them grow. And whichever one of those few seems to be growing the best, we'll save that one. And then we'll kill the, rat, the, the whatever's left over. So that's where the challenge It becomes. That's why it becomes a challenge. Is why are you doing? Why are you using science instead of nature? Right? Your body. Our bodies are designed to what? Survive, eat, survive, and procreate. So why are you using science if your body is designed? And the answer for a lot of um, a lot of well, the people that I know has all been the same. Where you know we struggle we were not able. We have not been able to conceive a child. And that's a, that's super sad, I get it. You really want something and you're not getting it. Which is, is pretty harsh, right? That's a pretty hard reality. You, you want to have a child. A lot of people don't, but you want to have a baby and you're uh but you're not being able to based on a physical issue right so that's really hard so hold on it's hard because first of all i mean you're 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 being told no you're physically not able to do something and that's that is really difficult it is i mean i There are things that I'm not able to do, right? I'm not able to dunk a basketball. But growing up, it was always, you know, if you try your hardest, you know, you'll be able to overcome physical issues or work around them. Or, hey, your legs don't work, get a wheelchair or get a Hulk system, whatever you want to do. But to be told that one of your core functions doesn't work is... Is almost like a slap in the face from God, right? It really is. I mean, it's got to feel that way. Um, some people love it. I know guys who who went and got uh, got a got a vasectomy when they were 24, right? Because they just don't want to have kids. They don't like it. They don't think the idea is there, and they found a life where they don't want to. They don't want to do that. They don't want to have children. Obviously, not for me. But the challenge is not, is not them, right? The challenge is the boss, you know, your, your boss and you can't have a baby or are not able to conceive, so you're going to use science. And I, I think that's kind of um, a hard topic, right? Because you would say, well... If you're, well, first of all, if your body's not able to handle a pregnancy, conceiving an egg through science and then jamming it back into, uh, and then implanting it back into a woman whose body is designed not, it seems to be designed not to have a con- conceive a child, sounds really scary to me. It's kind of like saying, hey, that Honda Civic isn't meant to have an, uh, you know, a jet engine put inside of it it might rip that frame apart but you're going to do it anyway because you want a jet engine inside of the Honda Civic but again you know it's not a machine it's it's human tissue so it's going to it can be damaged permanently and you can't just buy a new part so that goes into you know outside of those though let's say that uh, the you know the woman's body, and I'm going to focus on that because a guy doesn't do anything, right? He plants the seed. After he plants the seed, I mean, he's basically out of the picture. He's just there to protect that 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 baby growing inside. So once the doctor plants the seed, and by seed I mean once the doctor conceives the baby, and then implants them into the mother. I mean, that's really the end of it. I mean, the guy doesn't have anything else to do except for protect. So, so she's got to bear that child and deal with all the consequences of her hormones changing and everything like that. But it's all regulated, right? So once, once the, so they also have to trigger and give pills to trigger what would naturally happen if a baby was implanted. Like your body starts to change. A woman's body understands that they have just implanted an egg. It stops your period, right? Because obviously, why would you be shedding a lining if there's a baby there? You're, now you're going to create a, a an ideal uh, you know place for that child to grow and mature and and, and you know feed really and be protected. That ambiotic sac is is designed to protect and to foster growth and development. But that takes me all the way back, because what I do is I like to challenge myself and ask myself the questions and try to find the answers, right? Same reason why I'm asking myself, why, uh, why do I want to be a parent? Why did I choose to be a parent? And so then you get to, well, okay, don't we always use science to alter how our bodies function and the answer is yes unless you're an anti-vaxxer which is just causing problems for the rest of the world um, in, in a manner of speaking because I mean if you if your ideal situation is that truly Darwinism where if your child was supposed to live then they would be able to live without vaccinations then uh, I can't, I mean, I can argue against it, but I mean, that's a natural methodology. I would never risk my child's life like that. But, I mean, if that's your motivation, I can't really challenge it, because that is a natural way. But I do, I vaccinate my kids, right? Which is basically gene therapy. Well, that's really an unscientific way to look at it. But, I am altering the body chemistry of my body when I purposefully inject a virus into it or a strain of bacteria or a steroidal um, concoction, if you would. Now am I a scientist? No. Am I saying the correct terms scientifically? Absolutely not. I'm sure I'm saying... The most asinine thing you've ever heard. I'm not saying any of the words right. That's cool, cool story bro. The bottom line is, are we using science to stop death or to prolong life or to avoid something? Are we injecting, are we altering the state of our bodies to because we want them to do something that's not natural? And the answer is yes, it really is, right? Getting a cold is natural. You get a cold. Getting the flu, getting a virus, getting a, a whatever is all natural. That's kind of a natural way that the earth, if you would, or God, you could say God if you want to too, controls population. You know, coral reefs get viruses. There, You know, you get these viruses that come through. Now, uh, are there extremes? Yes. Did we create half the viruses? Yes. Do we do we create you know medically resistant viruses by using these vaccines? Yes. MRSA is a thing. It's real. So is it our fault? Some. Some of it is our fault. We should take the blame for some of it. But you you get something called the plague. Now, were we vaccinating during the time of the plague? No. Did that wipe out a lot of people, a massive amount of the world's population? Yes. Would the world, how, but what would the world look like right now if it didn't? You know, I mean, you could make a case for the entire um, Infinity Saga for Marvel, and yeah, I love Marvel too, right? Um, being a case for uh, for population control, right? I mean, that was the principle this crazy alien saw his world destroyed by overpopulation and and decided the entire universe would be better off if it was just halved. We just took out half the population. Um, And so he did it. Resources were abundant. But we've evolved past that. We've accepted the science. We've we've prolonged and staved off death and a lot of illness using science. And now's where you got to get into your, your if this then that. Where are we staving off science, I mean staving off death because of science, because luck or God or science, or whatever you want to call it, we were able to use our brain functions... In our understanding, to a degree, to allow us to do that, was that divine will to create a polio vaccine, to create a flu vaccine, to create a uh, a chickenpox vaccine, to create these vaccines? Is that divine inspiration through the minds of science, or are we are we? contradicting the natural order I would uh, I would I would be able frankly I'd be able to argue both sides of that story I would absolutely be able to argue divine intervention you know you can't if everything happens to God who sees all how on earth could anything happen that it was against God Right? maybe his motivation was of, of making a bad guy was to make ten good guys from that after they saw that bad guy so where where do we ebb and flow between science and God and I'm also using the word God and not religion right because your religion might be different your religion might say yes science is my religion so that that could be a thing I am not certain which science would be religion but um But I guess if I go into the definition of religion and blah, 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 but we go back to it and we say, where are the limits? Where is the, what is the scope of our scientific exploration, right? We've already crested the heavens, if you would, by by sending man to the moon and sending people to outer space. So we've gone high. We've gone massive. We've got massive ships that crush the oceans. We've got an you know, we've got a International Space Station that floats around the Earth. We've gone tiny, right? We've got electron microscopes. We've got we've got um, large hadron colliders looking for god particles, if you would. That's what they're called. So we're trying to see how big we can go how small we can go how in depth we can go but where are the limits where are supposed to be the limits now we had we have to have limits right because we we've seen a world where there were no limits where we devalued human life to the point where we were just testing experiments on humans and that's been going on for a long time. I bet you it's still going on today. We're trafficking people, we're, we're stealing persons who we think aren't worth very much in society and we're using them for, for what we would consider the good of society, right? We do human test subjects, we do human trials. Um, sometimes we dupe people into testing something where we have no idea what the outcome is going to be. We just give them 10 bucks and we say, hey, here you go. Now take this pill of radiation and see what happens. I mean, those are extreme circumstances. But the bottom line is there's got to be a limit, right? But to be a limit, you have to have kind of a common truth. And that common truth is not common. You see what I'm saying? So if I think all human life is valuable and that we cannot test on human life, a lot of people would say, okay, I I would venture to say the majority of the population would be okay with that assessment. Until we get down into the nitty-gritty of that statement, right? So what is... What is a test? Is, is, putting, is using hairspray a test? Is fingernail polish a test? Is a vaccine a test? So then we get to that level, right? We get to the depth of the question. Are we, what is the definition of a test? How far can that go? And then you gotta take the other portion of the statement. What is a human? Is someone who's brain dead a human? They're just living on machines. Are they human? Someone who's mentally retarded, mentally ill. Well, totally different things. Mentally, uh, mentally challenged, whatever you want to use the politically correct term for. Are they a human? Does a human have to meet a definition? And yes, yes. Read between the lines. I'm circling all the way back to... Conception. Wouldn't his life begin? Can I test out? Uh, can I test on a brand new baby? Can I test on a baby in the womb? Can I test on a fee on a fetus, a zygote? Can I test all the way down to a newly implanted, impregnated, conceived life? The sperm has implanted itself into the egg, and conception has happened. Can I test science on that? So there's the limits that is not clearly defined anywhere. It's really not. Um, The human life, I mean, well, let me step back two steps. Human life is clearly defined within, I mean, purely science. Human life begins at conception and ends at natural death. I mean, you could die in a car crash, yeah, you're die, you're dead. but your life begins at conception. At conception, your cells are mutating, your cells are dividing, and if one cell goes wrong, then you're not gonna make it. Like, that child won't make it. Or if two cells go wrong, but they're not wrong, you know, they don't go so bad, you might make it and you might not have an arm when you're born. Or you might not have full functionality of of part of your body. But does that mean you're not a human? So yes, science dictates life. starts at conception. That is a living organism inside of you. So how do we... So that's where the line is. That is that is the line. Um, and I can, take a, I can take a stance on that. And so the hard part is saying, well, yeah, you're following all the steps of of conceiving you're creating lives and so now is it wrong to in is it blatantly wrong to create 42 lives and then to kill all of them after you see which ones are going to be the most viable yeah I really very strongly believe that but you're you're forcing all that to happen right you're not even I mean but but if I take that to an extreme and I say okay well what if what if we take one sperm from a man and put it into one egg that was produced naturally by a woman, have it conceive, and then implant that back into the woman, right? Because that is... That is conception. You've conceived a child. How does that differ from a vaccination? We are sticking a needle in you and we are implanting something. We are changing the DNA. It's, it's very difficult to draw that line and the hardest part is overall, the hardest part is being told no is being under understanding that your body can't control something you're not able to, to follow through on your primary or one of your primary functions that's like being told you can't eat or you can't survive, those are the three things we do, we survive, we eat we procreate. You can't do 33% of your base functions. That's hard. But how do we make up for it? How do we do something different? What do we do if we can't? I'll tell you what we do. i tell you what I would like to see. And obviously these are all my thoughts, but man, there's so many kids out there that are unwanted, unloved, born to persons who've gone down the wrong path right or been pulled down whatever they're just not doing life the way it should be done so if you got a crackhead over there trying to sell their kid for for dope i mean that's that's a kid who needs that love the love that a parent who's choosing to use science instead of allowing you know allowing their bodies to tell them what can and can't be done that's that's a kid who's missing out right so we can make fun of uh, Hollywood for adopting Cambodian babies and Chinese babies and blah, blah, blah. But maybe this is one of those one instances, and, I, and I, there might be more than one, but this is the only one I can think of, where we should really look at Hollywood and say maybe they're onto something. Um, if they don't want to ruin their bodies or their figures with a baby... And they're adopting over some other child because of that. Maybe their motivations might not be the best, but their methodologies seem to be right on track. If I don't want to ruin my body, or if my body, or if my life is saying I can't have a child, then go find a child whose family can't support them. Or that doesn't have enough love. Give that child some love. And that goes into adoption and it costs a lot of money. But find a church. I'll guarantee you. Find a church. You're going to find somebody who's in a tough situation where they have been, they have inherited the gift of life through a child that they're either not ready for or they're terrified. And help them help them understand how precious that gift is and if they're still not willing to to be that parent themselves that's a good place for you to inherit that gift and raise that baby with love so what makes you want to be a parent choose to be a parent love you've got the love to give you've got the love to give if you've got the love and you've got the motivation I mean, what, what what on earth could ever stop you? Fight through it. If you're supposed to be a parent, be a parent. If you want to be a parent, find a kid who needs one and be a parent to them. But, you know, no matter what, just do what's right. It's not hard. Doing what's... Actually, that's not true. <laughs> doing what's right is hard when everybody around you is doing wrong. But that's what we get back to, right? What's the virtue of the month or the week or the year or the life? Integrity. All right. That's all for today. I'll see you guys tomorrow.